Hey, everybody. Welcome to Evil Pudding, a true crime podcast. I'm Courtney. And I am Patrick. And dude, we have an awesome freaking episode excited. today. So <laughs> outside of our normal, not something we normally do, but we wanted to try it. We wanted to do it and said, you know, someone reached out to us. Courtney reached out to somebody. So actually today's podcast is 100% one just in an interview mm-hmm. um, with a man named Vic. Vic Ferrari, detective. NYPD detective Vic Ferrari turned author. Uh, he has multiple books at the end uh, of the interview. You can hear him talk about it and then we'll talk about them after we talk to Vic. Um, totally off scripts off cue. We just had a conversation with this man. <laughs> love this man. And uh, he's awesome. Yeah, he's absolutely awesome. So without further ado, so let's check out our interview with Vic. We good. Yeah, we're good. Okay. All right, guys. Well, welcome to the Evil Pudding Podcast. And we have a special guest today, Detective Vic Ferrari. And Detective Ferrari, I'm going to go ahead and let you introduce yourself. Sure. You don't my, mind. Name is, my name is Vic Ferrari. I'm a retired NYPD detective. I did 20 years with the New York City Police Department. I was born and raised in the Bronx. Um, I grew up watching the French Connection, the Rockford Files. I always wanted to be a police officer. And uh, after a great 20 year run with the New York City Police Department, I retired and I got into writing books. And my books are just loaded with the interesting characters and funny and creative criminals that I met along my way. And I'll be honest with you, Vic, I just started reading your uh, the Flying Circus one. And from my experience, I told Courtney this earlier, my experiences with the Army and law enforcement, it just reminds me of everything I went through, like all the short little stories that are just like almost unbelievable but they're hilarious at the same time. You're like, people actually do that crap. And you're like, yeah, they really do. Well, like the military or or like the New York City Police Department's got at any given time between 35,000 and 40,000 members. So you're going to have a lot of personalities, right? You're going to have morons. You're going to have lunatics. (laughs) You're going to have people, you know, that take the job for bad, you know, for bad choices. I mean, 90% of the New York City Police Department is great people that do their job, but you know, you get the morons that get in, like the military, yep. and that's what makes it interesting because you've got these people that do things that you're like, what the fuck? Like, I would never in a million <laughs> years do something like this, but they choose yeah. to. You always have, like, probably in your precinct or like us with our units in the military, you always have that crazy bastard that no one wants to be around because <laughs> that dude will do crazy shit. And I was reading your story about El Diablo, and I'm like, yep, everybody had one of those guys in the unit that was just, you either, if you hung out with him, you knew you were just basically fucked. Like something bad was going down. <laughs> yeah, El Diablo. And in another one of my books, I've got the mad fodder. There was a guy that could just basically fought I on command. That Both these guys had genius IQs, genius, off the chart IQs, but they were out there and they would do these things that would get themselves in trouble. And like the El Diablo story, if you want me to tell it, it's, sure. it's yeah. about... This guy, he, he was Irish, but the Spanish cops called him El Diablo because if you worked with him long enough, you were either going to get divorced, go to rehab, or convert to Christianity because he, the guy was just this nonstop party. And he was fun to go out with, but you never knew what he was going to do next. And we always used to say, this fucking guy must have the Prince of Darkness running interference for him because he nev- nothing stuck. He was like the Teflon Don. He would do all this crazy shit and nothing ever stuck. And... Uh, what wound up happening was he was in a bar in Midtown on, I think it was on the East side. And uh, he was hanging out with a couple of floozies at the bar, getting lick it up as El Diablo would do. And uh, 
a handsome cab operator came in to use the bathroom. And for your listeners, a handsome cab operator is those guys that take you for a horse and carriage ride around Central Park for like right, $400 right. for 15 minutes. So this guy comes walking in with a velvet vest and, you know, Abe Lincoln stovepipe, <laughs> stovepipe hat. And El Diablo sees him going to the bathroom. He goes, hey, you mind if I take Seabiscuit for a ride? And the handsome cab operator just goes, yeah, sure. El Diablo tells the two girls at the bar, come on, I know him. He's a friend of mine. And the next thing you know, they climb into the horse and carriage. He takes the whip. He gives the horse a crack in the ass. And the horse and carriage starts walking away from the bar. He stole a horse. And at first, the girls are impressed. And El Diablo's holding the reins. And the horse is making left and right turns. But then the horse figures out there's a jackass back there. He doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> and like all animals, like my 120-pound dog, once they figure out you're vulnerable or you can't stop them, they're going to do whatever the fuck they want. So what does the horse and carriage start doing? The horse starts picking up steam and starts going through red lights, right? So now the girls in the back seat of the horse and carriage are like, let us out of this fucking camp. This thing, this is getting dangerous, right? Oh well, then the horse figures out, hey, there's Central Park. I can cut through Central Park and go to the west side and hit the barn. Fuck this, I'm getting some oats. So the horse <laughs> takes off and starts going through Central Park. El Diablo can't stop this runaway horse and carriage. Two other handsome cab operators recognize you know, they're like, that's not Bob at the reins. That, that horse and carriage is out of control. They get into a chase now. So now you've got three horse and carriages in a, in a chase going through Central Park. And thank oh God, God, these two other handsome cab operators, one got in front, one got in back, and were able to slow this runaway thing down so no one got killed. So they jump out. They start beating the shit out of El Diablo because they think, well, he did. He stole the horse and carriage. And he starts telling them, no, 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 no. I'm a cop, blah, 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 blah. The, the, the owner of the handsome cab operator shows up. He's pissed off and El Diablo tells him, I'll take you to an ATM machine right now. I'll take out 500 bucks. Can we call this a day? And the guy goes, fine. And he got away with it. You know, it's it. like anyone else would have gotten suspended or fired on the front page of the New York Post. It was just Not another him. Friday night or Saturday night in the life of El Diablo. That's oh my insanity. gosh, never a boring day. And I always wondered that too, because you got, you got to, that can't be the first time someone's just taking one of the horse and buggies down there and try to joyride it. <laughs> You know, to, to my knowledge, that's the first time it's happened with a, with a cop. I remember in the <laughs> yeah. Bronx one time, in the late, I'll never forget this. This was like, oh God, I haven't told this story in decades. This is like 1989. They had um, these guys, they were, they were these, guys, these guys went like, a, in the other end of the Bronx, like the north end of the Bronx, believe it or not, you got like um, equestrian and, and riding stables. Well, these guys, these two, these two black guys, they were dressed as cowboys paid for the day and paid to take these horses and these horses out for the day on the trails. Well, they got drunk and they didn't want to go back. So they rode the horses from the North Bronx into the South Bronx. Oh my God. And they were riding around. It was either Labor Day <laughs> or Memorial Day. I forget. And then the cops started saying, no, wait a minute. Why are the guys, you know, it's midnight after midnight. This, this isn't the wild West. Like why are there these <laughs> cowboys riding around, you know, in the Bronx down in, down in Fort Apache area. So someone got on the phone and started calling the stables and someone said, yeah, we're missing our horses. And then they wouldn't stop. So they kind of had a, they kind of had a corral of, you know, like the radio <laughs> cause. Cause every time these guys, these drunken cowboys saw the cops, they would go in the other direction. They were finally able with like 10 or 15 police cars to get them kind of trapped in a schoolyard. And then they finally gave up. 
but it was too drunk. And then they charged them, I think, with DUI, which is even funnier. DUI? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that charge stuck, but I know the cop that made the arrest, he's, he was actually a pretty funny guy. He goes, yeah, and he goes, for shits and giggles, I charged him with DUI because he was drunk. <laughs> I mean, why not? I don't know what else he would charge him with other than theft, maybe. I mean, seriously. So that's true. probably the first time that's ever happened in the Bronx since like the be. 1800s, right? Oh my gosh, <laughs> it sounds like a typical day in Texas here where we live. Oh, is that where you guys are from? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. we live we down in the Houston area and it's it's nothing down here for kids to show up to school with their horse. That's oh, not wow. true. Not like in that's Houston. That's in smaller towns. But in, in small parts of Texas, like yeah. you, they'll ride it to Walmart. Oh, that's cool. Well, gas prices are through the roof nowadays, you know. I guess so, it's cheaper. <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> okay, so um, I've read three of your books. I've read Grand Theft Auto, the NYPD's Flying Circus and NYPD Through the Looking Glass. And I'm a huge fan. Thank what inspired you. you to begin compiling all of your stories? Well, I retired from the New York City Police Department. I was bored out of my mind. So I took a job with a local police department down here in Florida. Great police department, but I hated it. Yeah. I went from being a detective in the world's largest police department to working in a small police department. And it was like being on an episode of Reno 911. You know yeah. what I mean? Or, or an episode of Cops. I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. I, I was just too old, you know, for going from a detective, then going back on the road and then having to listen to everybody's problems and, and handling DUIs and domestics. Right. I said, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. So I re-retired. And uh, a lot of my friends said, you know, you can, you got all these great cop stories. You should really put a book together. And I said, I, I was apprehensive of doing it because I, I didn't want to get anybody divorced and I didn't want to get anybody fired or in trouble. Right. So that took me a little bit to, to, to navigate. But then once I started cranking out these books and then they started selling and I just yeah. was like, wow, I can't believe this is happening. So I'm just going to, you know, take this train to the last stop because. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's funny. All my friends that I thought were going to start being leery of me that I'm writing stories about them and stuff. Now they're coming out of the woodwork. Oh, you should have said this. And remember when we did this. So, <laughs> you know, the reception from my peers has actually been pretty good. Yeah. That was my next question. What did your peers think about it? And so they, they thought I was out of my mind. They're like, Oh, you can't do that. And blah, blah. I says, well, I says, I think I could do it if I, ch I'm not going to name names. Right. I'm going to change the dates, the times, the ranks. I mean, these things did happen. Some of them are a little exaggerated. Some are spot dead on. But, yeah. you know, I, I again, I don't want to eat that. I mean, I'm not a sour grapes guy. And sure, there were people I didn't like that I worked with. But I, I'm not a big proponent of just like airing people's dirty laundry or saying this guy did this right. or that guy did that. I kind of get my point across in my stories without getting cutting too close to the bone. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And you, and you, yeah. Like you said, you actually did it the right way. Cause even if you're changing names, you're not naming people, you're not throwing people under the bus. You're not no. saying, Hey, Steve was the one that did this crap. It's or, all you know very I mean? light. Like... <laughs> it's very light. Yeah. I, I try at least. Yeah. No, you did a good job about that. Um, so this is evil pudding and we cover the most evil dudes here. Is there any one person or case that sticks out in your mind as the most evil, the most evil scenario, something that you remember, the most evil guy, you don't have to name names, of course. Well, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, when you're a cop or a police officer, for even if you're in, you know, a little town where there's not much crime, at some point or another, you're going to come across somebody that's going to make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Right. And in New York, I mean, we have no shortage of scumbags. 
Right. So um, what do you want someone? Uh, I mean, I, I've got so many stories about so, so many, many bad people. Yeah. To give you an example, one of the, one of the podcasts we did recently yeah, was uh, Richard Cottingham, the torso killer. I don't know if you remember. Well, you know him. what's funny? My partner, are you talking about the HB, um, the Netflix series? Uh, was there a Netflix series on it? I bet there was. You're talking about the Times Square Killer? The Times Square's Killer, yes. Yeah, Netflix yeah. did a really good series. It's I can't believe I'm promoting a Netflix series. But there you it's, go. A Net, it's a Netflix series called um, Crime Scene, the Times Square Killer. And my old right. partner is a homicide detective. He did... 30 something years with the NYPD, but he did like almost 20 years in homicide. He actually narrates that series about Richard. Really? really? That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah. We, we, we were actually, involved in the case, but because of his experience, they, they used yeah. him. He chilled me to the bone. Yeah. That was sure. just an example we were giving. Cause we, like I said, we did that probably what, two weeks ago. We put a podcast out about him. So. Right. Well, you should watch that series. It's really well done. Absolutely. I'm surprised she hasn't by now. She's I the know. biggest true crime fanatic you'll ever meet. I think I, I lag behind on my television series with all the research that we do now i need oh, to it's catch good. Up. it's like a four or five part series and it starts with the crime and then it goes into the investigation but what's good is they've they found a couple of his co-workers that are still alive yeah at the co-worker company. i mean you could tell like he's 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 either from brooklyn or queens i could tell by his accent but just a down-earth guy the guy's in his 70s now and he goes i can't tell you what i had for breakfast yesterday he says but i remember everything richie cunningham did in my office because yeah. they worked together and he yeah. said just like the bizarre conversations with this guy and just, oh, you know, he he goes, something, something was off. And then when the cops finally came to him, he's like, yeah, this guy. Yeah, absolutely. No, he was, he, he actually would confess to people at work and they, they just didn't believe him because he was such a bullshitter, you know? Right. He was toying with people. He wanted to see how far he could push the envelope yeah. with that because just killing people and getting away with it wasn't enough for him. So it was right. almost like kind of rub like a kid, like how much can I get away with, you know, rub it in the face. As far as evil, okay. Um, I worked on a case where we had, it's a bit of a story, but I worked on a case where we had Asian nationals in Brooklyn mm -hmm. and they were shipping between 20 and 30 stolen Audi A6s a month out of the country to Shanghai. Wow. And while this is going on, there was a gang of car thieves that were fulfilling these orders. Mm -hmm. And one of the guys by the name of Fausto Gonzalez was in, we, we quickly figured out was in addition to stealing all these vehicles, this guy was in the murder for hire business. Oh. And we would pick up little things on wiretaps and then through informants. And when, when we took down that case, he's probably probably responsible for about 13 killings. Wow. And he just like, I dealt with him a couple of times and he was just like a small and statue guy, like five, four, maybe 130 yeah. pounds. Like you could blow him over, but I mean, just just the way he would look at you, it was just he had no regard for human life. I mean, he took Dead one guy's eye. life. What these guys would do is they would drive down lower Manhattan with motorcycles, like a pack of them. And what they would do is if they saw you a motorcycle that they wanted, you'd be at a light. They'd kind of surround you. He'd get off the back of one of these bikes and point a gun at you. And if you didn't get off that bike fast enough, he's going to shoot you. And he, he killed a Manhattan club owner that way. Um, wow. He killed a guy up in... Uh, Waterbury, Connecticut for $5,000. Um, these guys were in the drug business up in Connecticut, these other guys, and uh, they were robbed. They were not, as the story of it, as I remember it, these guys were knocking over armored cars. One guy got caught and went to jail. He didn't rat out his friends. He got out after about five, six years, and then he went to his friends and he said, hey, I want to be an equal partner because his two friends that didn't get caught took the proceeds 
of these bank robberies and basically went into drugs. They were moving weight in Connecticut. So they were doing well. And this guy said, well, I want to be an equal partner. And they, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they patted this guy on the head and treating him like a lackey. Yeah, go kill this guy. Go pick up a kilo off of this guy. Go smack this guy around. And this guy was not to be toyed with. So what he did was he kidnapped one of their couriers who I actually arrested. And they put the courier in the trunk of the car for a weekend, beat the shit out of him, took his oh kilos, kicked him in the ass and sent him back to the other two guys and said, I'm not fucking around. Like next time someone's going to die. Yeah. So the two, his two old friends, like, well, he's got to go, you know, in the drug yeah. world, there's no warnings <laughs> and he, someone's got to go. So they got in contact with our thieves in the Bronx and this guy Fausto Gonzalez. And what they did was they went up to Connecticut and, uh, they followed this guy around. And when this guy stopped at a light, Fausto was on the back of a motorcycle, rolled up and emptied a Glock into this guy. I think he hit him at 11 out of 14 times, basically oh cut the God. guy with cheese. They take the motorcycle, they drive the motorcycle into a U-Haul truck, close the back of the U-Haul truck, and then take the U-Haul truck down I-95 where they get rid of the, the, I don't know if they chopped it or tagged it or destroyed the motorcycle. They got rid of it. They threw the gun in a lake. Um, and then when we took, we knew he was involved in all these killings. And then once we rounded them up for the, um, the, uh, the international car shipping ring, his buddy, Mario, who basically was a getaway driver on most of these homicides, like, well, you got me, but time out. I, I got a Trump card to play. Yeah. I'll give you this guy. Just give me a reduced yeah. sentence. I'll give you whatever you want. Yeah, Mario wound up getting like 10 years, but he's out. And then he testified against Fausto. And then we got Fausto con uh, convicted federally for the homicide up in Connecticut and they didn't give him the federal death penalty, which if anybody should have been eligible for, it should have been him. Yeah. Then the Manhattan district attorney's office convicted him on that homicide, uh, the motorcycle homicide I told you about. Mm -hmm. There was a, uh, he killed a guy. He just was doing murder for hire. Like if yeah, five man, that was enough. He killed a drugstore, an old elderly drugstore man that was um, taking the proceeds of the bank. He killed a guy in a barbershop. I mean, probably more that we'll never know about. Yeah, exactly. But the funny thing is, after he was in jail and he was not getting out, I locked up his girlfriend because she had a, a stolen, um, I think she had a stolen Nissan Maxima with the vehicle identification number changed. So I grabbed her and took her car and I was trying to get her to cooperate and she wouldn't. She goes, she goes, I can't. I says, well, I says, well, you don't owe him anything. She goes, just in case he gets out of jail, she goes, you don't understand. Like she would not, no matter what yeah, we hold over at. He'll kill me. Well, and it wasn't love. It certainly no, wasn't. I could it just was tell. It was, it was, yeah. yeah, she knew that if he ever stepped foot out of a jail cell, she was dead. Oh my god, he won't. But yeah, I get it. That's insane. You have some stuff. You should write a book one day. <laughs> <laughs> as long as I'm capable, I'll continue to. Oh my goodness. So you were with the NYPD during 9/11. I'm sure you get asked this all the time. Can you describe that day to us? Yeah, uh, that particular morning, it was a Tuesday. It was really nice weather. And that particular morning, my sergeant and I was supposed to go down to the Manhattan DA's office to, um, I had locked up this guy with a couple of stolen vehicles and he was going to give up a DMV employee. I think it was in the Harlem office, maybe. He, he had a DMV employee that was pumping out driver's licenses. So you would go to DMV with whatever name and address and date of birth you wanted. And there was an employee that could make that happen for you. So... We were going to sit down with the district attorney and his attorney and work out an agreement where he gets sprung from jail and he would, you know, work for us. And we were supposed to be down there by nine o'clock in the morning. So I came in at seven 
And I wanted to be out of our office because it takes a while to get into Manhattan and find parking. And then, mm -hmm. so my sergeant was running late. It's after eight o'clock and he comes breezing through the door. And I was like, Hey, John, you know, we're going to be late. I don't want to hold up these attorneys because then they'll just, they'll blow this off and call it for another day. Plus we got to pull this guy out of corrections. He goes, yeah, 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 yeah. He's taking his time. And the first plane hit and our office was upstairs from a police precinct. And one of the housing cops ran upstairs and said, put on the TV, a plane just hit the World Trade Center. So we put it on and we're watching it. And we didn't know at the time. We figured, because you got so many airports in the New York City area, we figured a Cessna, you know, a private pilot, right. a heart attack or something happened. And as we're watching this, the second plane hit. And we're like, oh, shit, we knew it was terrorism. Yeah. So they told us, get into uniform and just, you know, get ready. And probably by about 1, 1.30, I was down on the ground walking around down there. And yeah. it was it was fucking wild. Like, there was nothing, I I mean, that, that could prepare you for that. Because you get down there, and it's like something out of a movie. As we got closer to the World Trade Center, it was like a, when they talk about when a, a volcano goes up, and you got all that ash that the sunlight has difficulty yeah. going through the particles. So you had that going on. So it was very like hazy. And the closer you got, the darker it got. There was light, but it was weird. It was like an eclipse. And there was just dust blowing all over the place. There was papers blowing all over the place. There was shit all over the place, like a yeah. television set here, uh, a baseball glove over there. But the thing I'll never forget, covered in all that ash and dust as we're making our way down. And I think we came down Broadway. Um thousands upon thousands of women's shoes shoes women's high heel shoes thousands of pairs because when everybody was fleeing all these women worked in the financial district they're wearing heels you yeah. can't run in heels apparently they took them off they took them off and ran away barefoot so there was Absolutely. just there's one thing that'll stick out in my mind is that Ooh, yeah it was wild um there was a guy walked past us in a fucking space suit with a Geiger counter. Like, who the fuck is that? Like, What's is it military? was it some guy that has a Geiger counter in New Jersey in a space suit waiting for this day? Yeah. Like, we didn't even think to ask who the fuck he was. Just like, beep, 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 just walk by. Is us. that like, just how you hang out? Yeah, I want to ask him for, you know, for ID. You know what I mean? I got this bullshit paper mask from Home Depot. I mean, yeah. we're just covered in this shit. So I was down there from about 1.30 in the afternoon, and I don't think we left till 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. And I remember them telling us, be back at the office in the Bronx at 5.30. We're going to go back down again and take all your uniforms off and run that shit through the washing machine. You don't want yeah. that stuff on you. And I was going back for like the first week. Then they pulled us out. And then about, I don't know, a month later, they had us down there doing the bucket brigade you know, where they have you in a line up to the pile, like ants. There were just lines of guys and women. And then people are taking these joint compound buckets full of debris and it goes down a line and it gets thrown in a dumpster. And then that went out to the dump out in Queens where they put stuff on a conveyor belt and people would pick through it to see if they could find wallets or identification of things. Yeah. And since I worked in auto crime, probably about a month or two after 9-11, they had us at the dump. When the vehicle started getting extracted, um, they had us out at the dump chopping up these cars to see if anybody was inside them, you know, like with uh, yeah. jaws of life and all these tools. And plus they wanted us, they wanted to have like a, a record of what cars were down there, what were recovered. Cause people started making phony insurance. Well, they were afraid people were going to start making phony insurance claims. Like, yes. yeah, I lost my car down in ground zero. You yeah. Know? Of course. Yeah. The leeches that take advantage of a bad situation. Goodness. Okay. So in your first book, you said, and I quote, 
When I was hired by the NYPD, I was told the average cop's life expectancy was 55 years and most cops died within five years of retirement. That didn't sit well with me and I was determined not to fit into those statistics. So how have you managed that stress over the years? Do you feel that you've beat those odds? Oh, I definitely beat the odds because I'm 56 and I've been retired 14 or 15 years now. Um, I've always taken care of myself. And But yeah. here's the thing. I, I think like when I got hired, it was a different job. So guys stayed longer in those days. You had a lot of guys from like the Vietnam era mm -hmm. that um, got hired after Vietnam where they were hired before Vietnam. And then they went to Nam and came back. There was a lot of those guys still kind of hanging around. And I don't know. A lot of them stayed well past, I guess maybe they should have. Um, there's, there's a, I, I mean, dealing with stress, I enjoyed it. I, that's yeah. all I ever wanted to be in life was become a New York City detective. Right. I, I lived for it. I, I honestly didn't really want to retire until I said, you know what, maybe it's, you know, sometimes you got to do things against what, what your body tells you and what your mind tells you, two different things. Yes. And I said, you know what, I, it's time to go. But um, I enjoyed it. I really did. There's a lot of, not a lot, but there's a certain percentage of cops that they wish their lives away. Oh, I just got another three years to go. I got another five years to go. But they're, right, they're right. fucking miserable. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's the same guys that'll stay in the same precinct with the same locker and you'll go, why don't, if you're miserable here, I mean, the NYPD's got so, you got 77 different police stations. You've got scattered options. across the five boroughs, not, not including specialized units, which is a hundred right. of them. Put in for some. Eh, it's all the same. Well, well how how don't how, how are you going to know that until you try? Yeah. And, and it's the same guys go to the same locker. And I think, I mean, watch, I'll get off this podcast with you and I'll drop that on the floor of a heart attack. No, no, please don't, don't do that. that. <laughs> no, no. But what I'm saying is I, I enjoyed it. I had a great career. I continued to, to look fondly on my career. I have no sour grapes. There are a certain percentage of cops that get burned out. If you if you're on the road for 20 years in the New York City Police Department, think of it. You're driving in circles. It's a thankless job. The public never really likes you. Now they hate you. Yeah. <laughs> There's time they just kind of tolerated us. Now they hate us. Yeah. Um, but I never took it personal. To right. me, at the end of the day, I was getting paid every other Thursday, and mm -hmm. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed coming to work. Right. And you know, I've always been into fitness. I've always taken care of myself. So, you know, uh, I, I guess you know, I beat those odds now good for you it's interesting to hear you say that because for me you know coming from the military side of it you know there's so many people that are in the military same thing as the guys you're talking about oh, i've got two years left fuck this job i don't want it but then they are completely fucking lost when they leave the job yeah like, i know so many kids that were you know they're five years or they're four years in the army they're like i can't wait to get out and then they had no idea what to do with the rest of their life and they missed it two years after they left mm -hmm. well here, here's another mistake cops make like it, with the new york city police department right a lot of, it's not a mistake to want to live somewhere else. I get that. But you get a lot of cops, what they'll do is they'll move out of the five boroughs, which I understand you want, you want better schools for your kids or you, you, you want cleaner air or whatever. They'll move 60, 70, 80 miles from the city, right? That's a second job. You're every cop says the same thing. Well, how far do you live? An hour. Well, unless, you know, you're Han Solo, it's not an hour. You yeah. know what I mean? Best case scenario, it's an hour and 15, you know, so they're spending three hours a day in a car, right? Yep. And then they're working overtime. And so they're barely home, right? They're home on the weekends when they're recharging their batteries and they're exhausted. And a lot of cops' marriages break up after yeah. they retire because it's almost like they've been in a war for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Then they come home 
And now they're a pain in the ass to the wife. And now all of a sudden they're starting to ask questions that the wife, you know, the wife's been running the house for 20 years and the husband's like, why, why do you keep the dishes in that thing? You're like, yeah, well, yeah. well, fuck you. I've been keeping it like that for 20 <laughs> years. You never said a word years. about it. Now all of a sudden <laughs> this is taboo. So you see a lot of marriages break up like that when they retire because maybe they get to know each other again. And I just saw a lot of that with guys that once they retired, they didn't know what to do with themselves. And I think um, one of my books, I, I wrote that a 20-year career with the NYPD is like a 20-year merry-go-round ride. And you got to right. know when to get off. If you stay on suit so for too long, it's going to throw you off on your head. You're either right. going to be a burnt out hollow husk or the job's going to turn around and screw you. So it's like your time there is an infinite. You've got to make the most of it and then leave. Right. Because it will. The NYPD feeds on its own. And I don't think there, there are exceptions to the rule. But even me who, you know, enjoyed it, I'm sure if I stayed too long and the way things were changing, I wouldn't have liked it. And shame on me if I'm going to sit in the pool and just piss in it. Get up. Right. Get up. Absolutely. No, you definitely did the right thing. One more question, and then we'll let you go. I know you have an appointment whatever. to get to. <laughs> no, whatever. So in, uh, I think, one of your books, and I forgot which one, you talked about some of the people, the famous people you've rubbed elbows with. That was really cool. According to your book, names like Sonny Grasso, Peter Falk, Jesse Jackson all came up. So can you tell us some of your most memorable ones? Oh, yeah. So we're working the St. Patrick's Day Parade. This has got to be like 97, 98. The St. Patrick's Day Parade, I mean, Fifth Avenue, you've got rows of people coming down, right? So right. our job is to be on either side of Fifth Avenue and stop the crowd, stop, you know, people crossing the street. And there'll be a break in the parade, and then you let the people cross. So well, we're, we're just kind of controlling traffic. I look across Fifth Avenue and I see Peter Falk and I'll never forget this, a yellow canary sweater. And I'm looking and I'm going, Peter Falk, Peter Falk, Peter Falk. Yeah. And my partner goes, who the fuck is Peter Falk? I go, Columbo. He goes, oh shit. And Peter Falk sees me pointing at him, right? And when we open up traffic and now there, you know, rows of people are crisscrossing. He sees us and he tries to do the dip. He tries to get away from us. Now we're in uniform. Yeah. I go, Mr. Falk, I'm a huge fan. And he goes, who? Pretends like he doesn't know what I'm talking about. So I got him in an arm bar. I wrapped my arm around him uh -huh. and my partner and I let him over to a barrier. And he goes, I, you got me mistaken for someone else. And I'm like, come on, we know it's you. And he goes, all right, right. Jesus Christ, what do you want? <laughs> and we just started talking to him about Colombo and stuff. He goes, I got to go. I got an appointment. I got to be somewhere. So he was a really nice guy. He didn't want any part of us until we finally stopped him. That's so um, funny. <laughs> the Jesse Jackson story is funny. He was running for president. This is 1988. I was a rookie cop. He mm -hmm. was going to give a speech at this community center. And, uh, you know, I got 15 minutes out of the police academy. There's about 10 rookies at this community center. And everybody from sergeants, lieutenants, to finally the chief of the Bronx tells me, Ferrari, you got this back door. And I'll never forget the chief of the Bronx told me this after I've been threatened countless times by every other rank in the NYPD. I don't care if Jesus Christ himself opens that door. Don't let anybody into this community right. center. You push them through the door. I said, okay. We're standing around. About 10 minutes later, you hear, they're coming, they're coming. Secret Service is coming with Jesse Jackson, right? I'm watching the back door, not expecting anything. Next thing I know, I see the door unlocking from the outside. I'm like, what the fuck? I, the door opens up. And standing in the doorway is Jesse Jackson. Oh he's my gosh. He's big too. Is and he really? Yeah, he's a tall guy. 
I mean, I'm 5'9", he towered over me, and he sticks his hand out. I stick my hand out, my hand disappears in his hand. He's like, how you doing, young man? I go, fine. I'm like, what was I supposed to do? I know. Keep the guy out who's running for president, who's speaking here out, and then the Secret Service come blowing in, right? He gives his speech, and my sergeant comes up to me, and he's laughing. He goes, he goes, you'll go far on this job. He goes, everybody told you no. He says, but you even realized. You knew. That this, you know, that's not the guy. You no. tell he can't come in here. <laughs> that's not the so same. It, like, it was funny. He goes, you'll go far. He goes, you're going to be the next police commissioner. I go, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't want that job. <laughs> oh, I met countless famous people. I was working the U.S. Open in 2006. I met Brad Garrett from Everybody Loves Raymond. Yeah, the guy, the tall guy, huge Robert. tall oh, guy. Couldn't have been nice. You want to talk about a down to earth guy? He seems just like hanging he'd be out, really telling nice. stories. And we had worked with the real Ray Romano's brother, so right. we were telling him, you know, you play Richie better than Richie, and he yeah. thought that was funny. Um, John Lovitz from Saturday Night Live. Yes. Oh God, what a great guy he was there, and he's just standing around off to the side. It was getting late, and I go. I started busting his balls because he was doing subway commercials. So I'm going, you know, eat oh, fresh. Right. So he goes, about that. he goes, I don't know if you can do anything for me. He goes, my daughter wants an autograph off this tennis player. And the guy wasn't even like a really famous one. Yeah. Uh, American guy from Florida. I says, well, hang out here. Let, let me see what I can do. So I go into the tennis, you know, where the tennis players are, are getting changed. They're done for the day. The guy's name was Vinny something from Florida. Can't think of his name. I went up to him and I go, listen, I go, you know what, John? love it is for saying that live he goes yeah i go he's outside he wants your autograph for his daughter he goes get the fuck out of here i go no he goes oh yeah oh, so yeah. I, I put those two together and then john lovitz was having coffee with us telling stories like could not oh, have been gosh. nicer and more appreciative down like he didn't come blowing in there like hey you know who i am i want this guy's order he was just yeah. kind of hanging out like a fan like just definitely down to earth guy you know, we met a lot of, I met a lot of people like that. Kevin Bacon was a nice guy. He thought we were stalking him. We, he was down on, uh, <laughs> down the West Village one time. My partner spotted him and he was wearing like a jogging suit. His hair was like slicked back with wraparound glasses. And he goes, Kevin Bacon. I go, it's not Kevin Bacon. And we're following him with a Jeep. And the more <laughs> I'm looking, I go, that could be Kevin Bacon. That could so be what him. We did was just before he stepped in the street, we kind of got in front of him. Yeah. And we had the police radios and he leaned into the car. He goes, are you guys cops? Like, why are you following me? We go, I said, I, I saw you in Mystic River last night. You were great. He goes, oh, thank you. And then like, he's talking to us, you know. So when you work in New York City, you do run into a lot of famous oh, people. Absolutely. You gotta have your eyes open. Yeah. But yeah, I was very lucky. That's awesome. So in closing, before we let you go, do you want to take a few minutes or a couple of seconds and talk about all of your books and where we can find them, where our readers can go to get them. Sure. My first NYPD book, and I'll hold it up, is NYPD yes. Through the Looking Glass, Stories from Inside America's Largest Police Department. That deals with a lot of different personalities. It teaches you what goes on inside an NYPD precinct behind the scenes. When you go into an NYPD precinct to fill out a report, what the cops really think of you, or what goes on around there. Right how there's people set up in there to keep you away from that desk like goalies. And if you get to the desk without getting stopped, the desk office is going to basically want to shoot that person. <laughs> the NYPD's Flying Circus, Cops, Crime, and Chaos. That's got stories about El Diablo and a lot of, a lot of colorful characters I worked with. Grand Theft, Grand Theft Auto, the yeah. NYPD's Auto Crime Division is everything you wanted to know about the stolen car industry. 
chop shops, the mafia exporting cars out of country, what to do when you're buying a used car so you don't get screwed over, a car thieves mindset, what the tools they use to break into cars, how a car thief looks at your car, where your car goes after it's stolen. So there's a lot of insight on everything with the stolen car industry and NYPD law and disorder. Again, that's another book filled with short stories about the ridiculous things that happen in the, in the opening chapter is called embarrassing moments. It's got a couple of really good stories about embarrassing things that happened to me. I was on a toilet in a public restroom and someone reached over the top to grab my gun belt. And I got into a fight with the guy with my pants down to my ankle. So yeah, I, I don't hold back. Um, and I got a new book coming out. I wish I had a photo of it, but it's called confessions of a Catholic high school graduate. It's about growing up in the Bronx and just, the, the books opens up with me getting chased out of a confessional, which really happened. It's, it's uh, not a sour, it's funny. It's a funny book about just, you know, growing up Catholic in the Bronx and what it was, you know, th at that time period in the eighties. Great graduation gift. Yeah. Yeah, that, that. yeah. That's a good idea. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Detective Ferrari. And you're always welcome here on our podcast. Anytime. Thank you both. I really thank appreciate you for your service. And thanks so much for the opportunity to visit with you today. Thank you. Appreciate it. Have a good one, Vic. <laughs> okay, we'll talk to you soon, Hope. Bye-bye. Bye. So listen, anytime, listen, you got more questions. You Yeah, so that is Vic Ferrari. Super awesome dude. Absolutely <laughs> had a freaking blast talking to him. I we'll apologize. Have him back. Yeah, we're definitely gonna have him back. And I apologize it was shorter. I forgot Zoom only lets us do 40 minutes. It actually and, hung uh, up on him and yeah. we called him back. <laughs> and then we actually, yeah, you guys didn't see that. We actually it actually hung up on him. We had to call him back and we we're talked like, to him. Oh my god. <laughs> you know, we talked to him for another 20, 30 minutes. This guy is he has stories for freaking days. Oh my gosh. Tell. Like he literally is an awesome human being. He just he just loves to tell his stories. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I picked up his books. Just in, in preparation, I picked up one of his books just in preparation for uh, this interview. Mm -hmm. I just I couldn't stop reading it. It's he's hilarious. Great. He's great. I mean, it is just, you know, when you get a chance, go check out the videos or check out his books. They're on Amazon. Uh, you can download them on Kindle from Amazon. He yeah. has four out right now, I believe. Yeah. Well, and he has another one coming out new. And it's available for pre-order, guys. So wait, hold on. I'm pulling up the name of the book. Yeah, we don't want to miss it. We it is Confessions it. of a Catholic High School Graduate. And just, it's it's kind of out of his field house. Yeah. And if you, if you it's not an NYPD book, but you it, can pre order that. Yeah. You'll definitely want to after you read. I read three of his books so far. I read The NYPD's Flying Circus, Grand Theft Auto, and NYPD Through the Looking Glass. And I trust me, guys, you can't put them down once you pick them yeah, up. Yeah, I've been reading the Flying Circus <laughs> one. And it's, it's just, it's freaking hilarious. It's awesome. And his new one, he even said it, he even talked about it a little bit. It's, it's basically his story of growing up you know catholic in the bronx going to high school yeah at a catholic school and it's just probably all the debauchery and all the stories he has from there so huge fan of this guy y'all we'll go check out his books for sure uh, if y'all need a link if you want anything like that to find his books you hit us up on you know instagram at evil pudding podcast hit us shoot us an email at evil pudding podcast at gmail mm -hmm. uh let us know if you like this interview because this is something we're just kind of doing as a bonus episode. It's always to, risky, you know, doing an interview when you're used to doing like serial killer podcasts. Absolutely. Especially it, when we don't, don't know if y'all like it. Go, right? <laughs> we, we don't know how the interview is going to go, which yeah. obviously it went great with him. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're also looking at possibly putting up some videos. This is, this is us kind of testing video too, uh, throwing the video up there with the interview as you guys saw. So you go check that out on Spotify. It has the video feature now. Which uh, I have a, I'm Courtney not a hates it because she hates fan. 
she she hates how she looks all the time, but she's freaking gorgeous, but she doesn't listen to me. So do you ever watch yourself on video and you're like, is that me? <laughs> That's how I feel. Actually, no, I'm like, look at that sexy beast. Is that is that how you feel? No, absolutely okay. not. I just, I, just, <laughs> I just like to talk shit. Uh, no, seriously, go check out Vic. Go check out his books. Um, let us know what y'all think about the interview or us having interviews because we definitely want to talk to Vic again. Yes. Um, this was a shorter one, like I said, one because of technical stupidity on my part, uh, but also just, you know we're testing the waters, right? We didn't want to have a two-hour interview and you guys hate it. Um, but if we ha- if y'all love it, we can do more. Oh, y'all have specific questions. We want to have Vic going again, and you guys have specific questions you want to do. Yeah, let us send know. them to us. We'll even read your name and say you know Bob from Wisconsin wants to know so and so. Yeah, know, whatever it is, I'm, I'm stupid. I know. Um, but yeah, that's it. That, that's pretty much it. We are going to record another one, an actual episode this You're week. You're stupid, but we love you. I know. Well, thank you. I love you too. Um, <laughs> we're going to record our actual week episode this week, uh, tonight probably, and hopefully to have it out Sunday morning like we normally do. Um, other than that, man, y'all be good to each other. Be kind. We love y'all and we'll, uh, bye guys. We'll see you next time.